Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Before we get into today's episode, just a quick little announcement about some changes to the podcast. I will continue to do NBA-related podcasts on individual teams and the NBA as a whole on this feed on sort of a more ad hoc basis. But starting this week, I will be doing a weekly draft deep dives podcast. So I'll be recording with Tyler Metcalf, hashtag basketball's draft expert. I've done bits and pieces of draft coverage over the years, but have never really gone in depth on that. And I'm really excited to start doing that with this 2021 draft class. So I will be joined by Tyler every Tuesday evening going forward to discuss some of the top prospects in the draft and some of the sleeper prospects. So doing a little bit more of a draft deep dive on some of the players sort of towards the back half of the first round, start of the second round. And I'm really looking forward to talking to Tyler about the draft every week going forward. And I hope that you all enjoy the first episode of Draft Deep Dives. So now starting the first episode of the Draft Deep Dives version of the NBA Deep Dives podcast here as I will be going forward with hashtag basketball's draft expert Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited for this. Should be fun. A little more, little more frequent, a little more draft talk. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So I wanted to sort of get started with this by talking about sort of the primary creators in this draft. So traditionally, these would be called point guards, but some of the players we're going to talk about are not point guard size and not sort of traditional point guards, but they're the players who are going to be, you know, handling the ball on a regular basis and the primary engine for their team's offense. So before we get into some of the specific players, I just wanted to sort of talk about some of the differences between college level point guards and NBA level point guards and the kinds of players who succeed in both environments. And Really, where I sort of wanted to start with this is that there are some players that are very, very successful at the college level that have a drastically different role in the NBA. So as a Kings fan, the first sort of example of this that comes to mind is Frank Mason III, who obviously was a National Player of the Year while in college and has been an end-of-the-bench guy throughout his NBA career. And it's something that we'll see with Marcus Howard in this year's draft class, where a lot of guys who are six foot and under point guards who have okay to great shots, but again, are six foot and under point guards with incredible basketball IQ. Those guys can be national players of the year in college and second round picks in the NBA. And I think it's really interesting to sort of compare those two types of players because, you know, it's not like small guards never succeed in the NBA, but it is interesting to me that guys who are by far the best player on their college teams end up being guys who we talk about as second round players when it comes to draft time. Yeah, and it's completely different. I mean, essentially, college basketball and the NBA are almost two completely different sports, and the really high-level players or high-level point guards that we see in college are typically these upperclassmen who have been in that system for two three four years and really know it inside and out and they're grown men essentially who are going up against teenagers and younger kids and they just have a better understanding so when we see these really cerebral and dominant 
upperclassmen point guards, you know, you kind of have to factor in that they're going against these kids who just came out of college and a lot of, or came out of high school in a lot of cases. And that translation to the NBA is going to, going to be completely different because that primary initiator role in the NBA has completely spun from, you know, that more traditional John Stockton type of point guard of, I'm going to get everyone else involved. I'm going to kind of run the show. I'm going to bring it up every time to you. You have to be able to get your own shot now as, you know, a primary initiator. And we're seeing more and more where now you have to have more size to be that primary initiator. So it, it the the pivot and the growth and evolution of that, you know, quote unquote point guard or primary initiator role in the NBA has been really fascinating over the last, you know, five, ten even 15 years. And sort of on a similar point, we will talk about some international prospects later in this podcast. And that's also sort of an interesting dynamic as well, where if you're looking at the EuroLeague or the NBL, in terms of sort of top flight athleticism, that's not going to be anywhere near on the same level as you know, top level college basketball. But in terms of, you know, going up against grown men and, you know, going up against people who have been professionals for multiple years, it's a very, very different dynamic from the college basketball environment. And it'll be interesting, especially since we're going to talk about someone who is currently playing for the G League Ignite, to sort of think about where that G League Ignite option will fall in between, you know, sort of more traditional professional league players in terms of players playing overseas versus, you know, how different that will be from the college game. And I think what we've seen so far in the limited G League Ignite sample size is, you know, they are going up against professional players because they're a team in the G League. But, you know, the difference is I think there's a lot more athleticism at the G League level than there is in the EuroLeague and in the NBL. So the G League Ignite players are not going up against, you know, 19-year-old kids, but then again, they're also not, you know, going up against NBA level competition immediately. It's a really kind of interesting dynamic with these G League kids um, because the the pace and the athleticism and just overall speed of the game um, in, in the G League bubble is so much faster than they would have experienced in college. So I, I think the their learning curve has just been accelerated dramatically and seeing you know, a guy like Jalen Green really adapt and kind of change his game so quickly from that first outing to um, just their last game uh, yesterday or the day before against the Raptors, where he's kind of taking over as a primary initiator and scorer and focal point of the offense. Um, It's really cool to see. And then when you compare that to just like the cultural differences of the game, like over in Europe, where it is a slower game, but it's it's very technical and it's very physical, and you see that a lot with young guys who come over. I mean, just like look if you look at Luca's game, he's a really strong driver, really physical player, and he isn't this elite athlete, but he uses his strength and you know technical ability and craftiness to just constantly outmaneuver guys. So just like the juxtapositions of cultures and schemes between just leagues that we kind of view at not the same, but, you know, similar levels as that stepping stone into the NBA is is really fascinating. 
Let's talk now about some of the primary creators in this 2021 draft class. And a lot of these guys are players that we discussed at length in our recent Top 45 podcast. And also Tyler, of course, discussed them on his big board, which is now live on hashtag basketball.com. Go read it. Go read it. But let's start with the number one player on that big board who I'm sort of working on a personal big board and... Cade Cunningham is the very clear number one pick in this class to me. Since the last time we spoke, he had a 40-point game against Oklahoma and then had an ankle injury, which thankfully seems pretty minor. He's still around 20 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, and is dragging Oklahoma State into the top 25 basically on his own. To me, this pick is almost Luka levels of obvious, and that's kind of crazy to say given that I think this is a very talented top five in this draft class, but Cade can do absolutely everything on the offensive end, and he's 6'7", 215 pounds, so he's got the size to be a wing-type defender if he needs to be. You know, having that size at the point guard position is incredibly important for versatility, and Cade has that, and Really, the only skill that he doesn't have in absolute droves is that he's not the ridiculous athlete that some of the other players on this list will be, but that's pretty much the only negative thing I can find to say about Cade, and he is the number one pick in this draft class to me with a bullet, and I don't understand why anybody is talking about anybody else for this number one spot. In a feeble attempt to try and create content. I mean, that's that's the only reason. I mean, Evan Mobley's an excellent player. Jalen Suggs is awesome. Jalen Green's a lot of fun. Kuminga, delightful. They're they're not in Cade's class. And, you know, you, you see, I feel like as the season's gone on, we've seen more and more people be like, oh, are we sure? It's like, I, I think Evan Mobley might be in that, or could challenge for that first pick and I he, he might come draft night but he shouldn't um it it's been you know a year plus uh that we've known Cade should be the number one pick and he's done absolutely nothing to change that thinking and he's carried this Oklahoma State team that it's not good they have some young athletic players who play really hard but they are not a good basketball team and I've heard some concerns over his turnovers. I, you know, I don't like that he's turning the ball over, you know, over four times a game. But a lot of that, I think, is because he has to create nearly everything on offense, and everything has to run through him. So sometimes he take he has to take more chances. And I don't think that's going to be the case in the NBA where he's this high turnover guy. You tend to make more turnovers when you're quadruple teamed, just as a general rule. <laughs> Right, exactly. And, you know, when you're trying to, when you have to force things because the rest of your team is shooting about 31, 32% from three, that's not good. So the biggest concern with him for me coming into this season was, is he going to be able to shoot? And he's been over 40% from three on nearly five attempts. That That's tremendous. That's all I need. Like that concern for me is completely quelled. I'm thrilled with his shooting uh he's he has that quiet aspect of being able to get to whatever spot he wants to um he's really patient with his drives um he'll he'll manipulate guys with multiple dribble moves he'll look off defenders to find cutters or shooters he's a really strong driver he can finish through contact hit step backs 
there, there's nothing about his game that you can legitimately pick holes in, except that he isn't this explosive athlete. And given his size, given his IQ, given his skill, I don't think that will matter. Well, someone who doesn't have the athleticism problem or the terrible teammates problem, Jalen Suggs. And if he could be a little bit more consistent, I think he could be on a Hall of Fame track. Honestly, he has the kind of athleticism and passing vision and other skills where if he's consistently knocking down three-pointers and is a little bit better about turnovers, I think he's going to be a multi-time all-star, again, you know, on a Hall of Fame track. And he clearly doesn't have the same floor as Cade Cunningham because, you know, he's 6'4", and not as well-rounded as Cade in terms of his skill set. And I think Cade might have a higher ceiling as well, just given his size at that primary creator position slash role. But unlike pretty much anyone else in this class, I could see a world in which Jalen Suggs is the best playmaker in the 2021 draft class. But again, that's like I have to really think about it and, you know, put my imagination to work which is why I think Kate is clearly the number one choice in this class. But given Jalen Suggs' crazy athleticism, I think he's got a small chance, but a chance to be a better playmaker than Cade. I don't think anyone else in this class has that. I, I would say it's a, a slim chance. Very slim. I, 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 th- I think Suggs is a little flashier of a playmaker, and a lot of that is just because of he, he's quicker off the bounce that his first step is a lot more explosive so once you know he beats that first defender and whips a live dribble pass out it it looks a little flashier it's a little faster um but i i don't think he's and as accurate or consistent of a passer as Cade. and i think Cade's size gives him that you know that extra vision to just essentially see over whoever's defending him and Jalen just doesn't have that. And despite that, though, I, I, I love this kid. I, I think he's in that realm of a Donovan Mitchell or John Morant from like a personality standpoint where he can really just change the culture or really establish that winning culture. I and mean, this dude's just a dog. He's a winner. He's tough. I mean, he, everything that you want out of your rookie to come in from day one and want to win and compete and just tear your opponent's head off. This guy is going to bring that every single night. Up next, Sharif Cooper, and he's either the best or the second best passer in this class. But despite that, Sharif is actually a pretty easy evaluation for me in the sense that He's currently shooting 23% from three-point range on nearly five attempts per game, and he is very generously listed at six foot one. So he is an 83% free throw shooter, and generally speaking, that tends to be more indicative of shooting success in the NBA from beyond the three-point line. And I don't think the jumper is like broken, broken, but honestly, given his almost guaranteed defensive issues it's really just going to be about whether he can shoot and if he can shoot i think he could be the starting point guard and fourth or fifth option for a really 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 good team and if he can't shoot i'm not sure how long he sticks around in the nba to be entirely honest yeah that 6-1 listing is very generous um 
yeah, my, my biggest, he's probably the best and most creative passer in this class. Um, just the, the way he's able to create off the dribble, his lobs are perfectly weighted. Um, just his skip passes, his live dribble with either hand. It, it's all incredibly impressive. I, I just worry about, like you said, that shot. And I, I'm a little more concerned about it than you are. Um, some of the mechanical things, and it's really slow. He doesn't elevate at all. He, he leans back constantly, which I think is just a symptom of him being shorter by quite a bit than everyone else he plays against and just having to try and get it over shot contests. Um, I think it's going to be a little harder to work that out of his form than we may think. So while like his, his ball skills and his IQ and vision make him, you know, probably a top 10 talent, his lack of size. And I, I really worry that if he doesn't shoot, I don't think he has much of a future that, that really bumps him down for me. Well, someone who has passed him on that front, on your big board at least, Trey Mann, who has taken a serious leap and also a serious growth spurt since his kind of disappointing freshman season, but he's knocking down shots much more consistently this year. He has one more miss from the free throw line this year than he did last year, which is pretty telling given that he shot more than twice as many attempts from the free throw line. And you have him a lot higher than some other people, but I think I'm kind of closer to where you are on him than a lot of other draft evaluators, because ultimately he's shown that he could be at least a solid shooter this year, and he's got the size at that position to be someone who can be playing either guard position pretty effectively at the NBA level. And, you know, he's not the same kind of playmaker as some of the best playmakers in this class, but I think he's got a well-rounded enough potential skill set that if he continues to shoot well, he could be a really great player going forward. Yeah, Trey Mann is one of my sneaky, like one of those guys that I just have fallen in love with in this draft. Um, Just the, the jump he's taken from his freshman year is, in my mind, like very substantial um i also think he has one of like the nastiest step backs in the country and now that he's you know six five it's when when he hits that it's nearly impossible to defend i i think his shot creation has come along tremendously um i i think he's shown enough live dribble passing and creating out of the pick and roll that it's going to be a legitimate skill for him going forward. I I know people have some issues with his consistency and I'm way higher than most. I have him at 12 right now. Um, But I I think he's a good rebounder, good defender. I I think his passing vision is really impressive. And just the jump that he's made over the last year and how productive he's been. And, you know, the 15 games I've seen of him this year, Um, I I absolutely love this kid. And now we go to someone who I've dug a little bit deeper on in the last couple of days and have fallen in love with on my end, Davion Mitchell from Baylor. Yes. I saw the other day, and I'm very sorry that I do not remember who I saw this from, but that he was number one in the country at forcing turnovers. And when you look at statistical translations from college slash other professional leagues to the NBA— 
forcing turnovers and getting steals is one of those things that almost always translates. And if you can get steals without gambling, that's pretty much the best thing you can do on any defensive possession. He also has a 64% true shooting percentage over a two to one assist ratio. He doesn't exactly scream superstar, but his statistical profile is just exceptional across the board. And I think that even if he's not going to be sort of a team's primary guy with the ball in his hands, I think he will fit alongside pretty much anyone in pretty much any backcourt as long as it's someone with a little bit more size than his six foot two frame. But again, he's been excellent on defense playing alongside a six foot three guard at Baylor. So I'm really, really hopeful for Davion Mitchell. And I think if he ends up falling to the back half of the lottery or even later in the first round, that whoever gets him is going to end up with a steal. He's in that same bucket as Trey Mann for me as this guy I just continue to fall in love with and just love nearly every aspect of his game i mean anyone who follows me on twitter knows that i absolutely hate the charge call and think it's the dumbest and most cowardly way to play basketball but that's mainly in reference to those those guys who slide over under a guy who's already jumping at the last second and draw a nonsense charge davion mitchell is one of those guys who's moving his feet before the ball handler is and anticipating and knowing where the ball handler is going before they do and beats them to the spot nearly every time his perimeter footwork is so quick it's one of my favorite things to watch he's shooting 46 percent from three this year he's athletic he's a good passer he's not as flashy or creative of a playmaker as the other guys we've talked about here but he's a smart passer and moves the ball well and he he can play as the lead guard but i think he's he'll be better off in more of a two guard lineup especially if he's paired with a bigger initiator and he may never reach these heights but i get a lot of like drew drew holiday vibes from him can you imagine if he falls to the dallas mavericks wherever they get their first round pick isn't it automatically going to new york Oh, that, right. Could you imagine if Dallas trades up into the first round to get Davion Mitchell? <laughs> but but yeah, yes, that, that pairing would be absolutely incredible. Or even if somehow like he lands in Denver next to Jamal oh, Murray, man. I think that'd be a tremendous fit. Yeah, that would be and really get, fun. Get Gary Harris out of that starting lineup. Well, I still have Gary Harris stock that has cratered like the tulip bubble, but I'm still holding it, so I won't slander him. But (laughs) yeah, that would be really, really fun as well. Before we move on to some of the first round point guards that you have outside of the lottery, let's just talk briefly about some other players sort of at the top part of the lottery who aren't really primary creators, primary ball handlers right now, but guys who could maybe get there. And so I wanted to start with the G League Ignite guys, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green. Jalen Green has handled the ball a lot more in their recent games, so I think he's sort of closer to being that kind of primary creator archetype. And he's going to be a primary creator archetype that's more along the scoring lines. He's not a pass first or, to be honest, even a pass second kind of player, but he does have incredible ball handling skills, and he does have that sort of shot creation that's key for guys who are primary creators, primary ball handlers going forward. I know I'm not the first one with this kind of comparison, but he I mean, he just has a lot of Zach Levine vibes where he's going to be, you know, technically a shooting guard, but he's essentially a point guard. Um, 
I, I think he, I know his outside shots still a little inconsistent, but he's just looked better and more comfortable after every single G League game. Um, I've been extremely impressed with what I've seen from him, and he's actually been like a crazy effective at rim finisher despite only being 180 pounds. He's not afraid of contact. He's has incredible body control, freak athlete. Um, I, I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if the first year or two are really inefficient scoring wise, but I, I, I think this kid could develop into just an absolutely absurd score in the NBA. All right, let's move on to some other first round point guards. These are players that you have towards the back of your first round on your big board and starting with David Johnson out of Louisville. And he's an interesting kind of combo guard type who wasn't really all that highly recruited out of high school, but has taken a serious leap this year. He has size. He has guard skills that could be helpful at either position. The one thing that's really worrying to me about his season this year is that his shooting percentage and particularly shooting percentage inside the arc has taken a serious dip. And there's part of that that's just, you know, him getting an increased defensive focus from the guys across from him. But it is concerning for me if you're going to pick a guy who's going to be that kind of, you know, 6'5 combo guard type. I feel like one of the most important skills for those guys is being able to catch the ball, make a quick decision, and be able to drive and score at the rim effectively. And if he is missing bunnies around the rim, you know, at the NBA level, like he has... I mean, not really this season, but certainly his scoring numbers inside the arc his freshman year were a lot more efficient, and hopefully that's something that he can pick up going forward rather than sort of struggling around the rim like he has this year. Yes, so this is kind of one of the hills I'm dying on, is that he's played out of position all season because of Carlyke Jones transferring in, and Carlyke has had an awesome year, um, and you know maybe one of those fringe second-round guys. Um but I, I think he's going to be better off as a point guard in the NBA. Um, I, I think he's really comfortable kind of creating out of the pick and roll and kind of picking his spot, like patiently picking his spots and getting to his spot and setting up guys out of that. Um, I, I think he's a really solid passer. Um, his outside shot looks a lot better than it did last year. Last year is pretty atrocious. And, you know, this year's results aren't incredible, um, but his volume has jumped up so much that and he looks so much more confident in it. And when you watch the coaches, it's never a shake of the head or like his teammates are frustrated with him taking a shot. So I, you know, this is probably a little too much body language reading going into it, but it, it just seems like everyone knows that he's been working on it and trusts him to take those shots, which, you know, I I hope and expect for that to kind of continue to improve. But given his size and level of comfort creating out of the pick and roll, I I think he's a really intriguing, intriguing guy in the mid to late first round. So the other two point guard types that you have on your first round big board, Miles McBride is a defense first point guard out of West Virginia, who I'll admit I haven't seen that much of this 
season. He's certainly the player on the list of players that we're talking about today that I've seen the least of. So let's just quickly move forward to Jared Butler, who is having an exceptional season alongside Davian Mitchell at Baylor. And Butler can shoot, and he has great passing vision. And honestly, I think that the two of them playing together has been really helpful for both of their development. You know, it's allowed them to sort of switch off between who's the guy handling each possession. And I think that's allowed both of them to really develop their off-ball games. And they've both had exceptional shooting seasons, so clearly we've seen that they can play pretty effectively off the ball. Yeah, and Jared Butler's in the 97th percentile in points per possession on all jump shots, 98th percentile shooting off the catch, 91st percentile shooting off the dribble. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it, it, it's the the shooting performances that Baylor's put on this year have been a ton of fun. Um, my biggest concern with him is just kind of his inability to finish around the rim. Uh, not you know, not, not the biggest guy uh, in kind of a slender frame. So I think that will you know, limit him some uh, if he gets run off the line. But overall, in his shooting, his his basketball IQ, his defense, his, you know, ability to just operate in the flow of the offense is is really impressive. And, you know, I, I absolutely, absolutely love Cade Cunningham, but I, I think Jared Butler got robbed of Big 12 Player of the Year. All right. Well, this is the Draft Deep Dives podcast. So, of course, we have to do some deep dives on guys who are not, you know, first round players, some guys who are more towards the early second round, maybe even later on, but guys who I think are fun to talk about and want to dive into. So let's start with Ayo Desunmu, who once again is having a stellar season for Illinois. The big difference between this year and his first two seasons is that he's been knocking down three-pointers this year. He's at 40% on the season after being all right his freshman year, 35%, and atrocious last year, under 30% from deep as a sophomore. I think he's probably somewhere closer to his freshman season than he is to either of his last two seasons. I think he's kind of an average-ish three-point shooter, but he's an average-ish three-point shooter with a huge responsibility to the Illinois offense. And you have him as a second-round guy, but I probably would have him preliminarily somewhere in the high teens on my personal board. I mean, he's been someone who I've been a fan of since his freshman season. He's a very good defender. He could play either guard spot. And if he actually is a 40% three-point shooter going forward, or even like a 37 38% three-point shooter, I think he'd be someone who could be seen as a huge miss if he ends up falling to the second round. He absolutely could be. And he's one of the guys I, I really struggle with because I, I love him in the open court his transition offense is he might be the best in the country at it a uh, really good versatile defender a uh, great off-ball mover with his cutting um I, I think he's a solid creator out of the pick and roll not not elite like the other guys we've been talking about but comfortable enough where he can do it um I I just I really worry I don't know if worry is the right word, but I'm confused on how he gets his offense in the half court. Um, I don't think he's as creative a playmaker to really be that full-time initiator, and I, I still don't trust the shot. I know it's gotten a lot better this year. It looks a lot better, but and he's still in the 58th percentile shooting off the catch, 67th shooting off the dribble, and 37th 
uh, on all his on all three point jumpers. So I know it looks better. I know he really only needs to be league average. Um, and I love everything about him except I I'm worried about what his half court offensive game looks like because there there have been some issues with it. Up next, Dyson Nix, and just to start out, I made a dig at his weight in our Top 45 podcast that I do feel really bad about, especially this year. You know, it's a crazy stressful year for every human being on this planet, so I do feel bad about that. So let's, instead of talking about his weight, talk about how concerning it is that he can't hit the ocean in the G League right now. <laughs> I mean, he's got a decent assist to turnover ratio. He's been very helpful on the boards. And I think that's a really underrated skill for guards, especially in the modern NBA, where you don't really send people to the offensive glass anymore. But he just can't hit any of his jumpers. And his three-point percentage, is it still below 20%? I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'm seeing 21 21. Okay, so good for him. But in any case, he's sort of falling out of the first round on a lot of boards right now. And sadly, I totally get it. I mean, if he's not shooting consistently, then, you know, there are a lot of questions about the rest of his game outside of that. Yeah, scratch that. It's actually at 17.5% from three. Oh, there you go. See? Uh, yeah, the, the, the shooting hasn't been good. Um, and and that that combined with kind of his defensive consistency, I I know we've seen flashes of the defense. Um, I think he gambles way too much. That kind of puts the rest of his team in scramble mode. Um, he's a really impressive passer, though. I I I I hate when people do this, but you you can tell that he played quarterback in high school. Uh, he's really accurate, really creative, um, and really just willing passer um really strong i think he's going to be a solid interior finisher i'm not sure that he's going to have the quickness to really beat his guy off the dribble though in isolation um but if, if that jumper doesn't improve you know quite a bit um i i, I think it could be kind of, kind of a rough path to him seeing legitimate rotation minutes up next is Josh Giddy, who is a six foot eight forward ish kind of player, but who will definitely play a lot with the ball in his hands at the NBA level. And he's someone who's really sort of rocketed up boards in the last couple of months or so because he's having a really, really good season for Adelaide in the NBL. And the thing with Giddy is that, you know, he's not good defensively, but that matters a lot less in the NBA when you're at the six foot eight range than when you're at the six two, six three range, just because it's a lot easier to hide you. And when you look at the offensive end of the floor, I mean he's like you said with Cade, someone who can see every pass on the floor just because he's six eight with point guard style vision and he compared himself, Giddy compared himself to Ben Simmons, and that's aggressive, especially given what Ben Simmons has become on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I don't love that. But, you know, on the offensive end, he is a really creative playmaker who has size, and that's something that is playing exceptionally well at the NBA, especially over the last two or three seasons. That, that Ben Simmons comp doesn't do it for me, given that he's 
really skinny, not the same athlete, and doesn't play defense. Um, to be fair, Ben Simmons didn't play defense at LSU. Well, yeah, because Ben Simmons had no intention of actually going to LSU. I mean, not but, wrong. <laughs> anywho, <laughs> I the the versatility that Giddy has with passing off the dribble is probably his most impressive trait. Just whether left or left or right handed doesn't really matter. He's super comfortable and really accurate. Uh, you know, whipping live dribble passes with either hand, and and that opens up a lot for his offensive game and how he can attack and manipulate defenses um, because they can't just force him one way. He can go anywhere on the court and find any one of his teammates, whether they're, you know, rotating to the corner or making that baseline cut. Um, the odds are he's going to find them. Similar to Nick's, uh, his three-point percentage is better, but it's not good. Um, I, I worry about that and how that will kind of incorporate to his game but he he's he's a good rebounder and at six eight like you said that just that height and that length covers up a lot of um liabilities you mentioned his passing skill off the dribble and i want to sort of focus in on that a little bit more i think that is really just doing anything off the dribble in the NBA these days. You know, shooting off the dribble is huge and passing off the dribble is huge as well, just because that is a slightly different skill than just, you know, half court set offense kind of passing. And the fact that he can do that, I think makes it a lot easier for him to sort of fit into multiple different kinds of roles. You know, he can be very much a secondary playmaker or he could be someone who's leading the offense and you know the shot is obviously a problem but if he can be a decent off the dribble three-point shooter and be the kind of off the dribble passer that he is that opens a lot more lanes for an offense than just a guy who could make plays if you situate him at the top of the key and tell him to throw the ball around but you know once someone gets him in motion that's a little bit of a different story giddy is better off the dribble than a lot of guys who are sort of standstill kind of playmakers and every single second in the NBA counts because of how intelligent and how athletic these defenders are now. And, you know, it, when, you, when you take that extra half a second to pick up your dribble, gather, pivot, and then whip the pass to the corner, you know, the, the defender's already rotated back and is picking it off and going the other way. So, you know, when he can cross over, deny the screen, drive to his left, and then immediately off the bounce, make that one-handed swing pass to the shooter, and that that, def- that defender doesn't have time to rotate over to tag the roller or cut off his drive and then get back. So it, it just, it really puts the defense on, on their heels. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that with Luca and LaMelo Ball, not saying Giddy's at that level of playmaking, but he's comfortable making those types of passes already, which is really promising for him going forward. Up next, Rokas Jakobaitis out of Zalgiris. And a lot of boards have him sort of towards the latter half of the first round. He's a 6'4 combo guard type who's gotten some comparisons to Goran Dragic, which I think is mostly just because he's also an Eastern European point guard. (laughs) But he's someone who very clearly could be a third or fourth guard in an NBA rotation. I mean, I think he could, you know, be a solid fourth guard as early as next season. I think the question with him is just 
does he have the skill set to be more than that? And I think really the determining factor there is if he can turn his shot into a serious weapon, I think he could be a really good fifth starter. But if he's just sort of meh on that front, then, you know, I think he's going to be a very good backup for a long time, but also maybe someone who, you know, comes to the NBA for a couple of years and then decides, you know what, I'd rather be a star in Europe, Mios Teledosic style, than be like a backup NBA point guard. Yeah, so I, I'm actually kind of encouraged by a shot. I, I know the percentages aren't necessarily there yet, but I, I think it looks better than, you know, than the results suggest. But I, I, just, I love his creativity um, with just his overall scoring game and how he's able to manipulate screens out of the pick and roll and use change of pace dribbling um, and really keep that defender on his hip and kind of finish around the rim. I, I think he's really creative in that aspect. Um, just I don't think he's a very good athlete, and I think that's really going to limit him on both ends. I, I, you know, he's not small, but he doesn't have that elite size or strength you know he's like 6'5 195 so and it's it's a you know a good body but it's not that it's not that luca level sorry to keep going back to him but where he has that size strength bulk where it really doesn't matter that he's not this elite athlete with that quick burst where he can just you know go from zero to a hundred immediately so i think he's going to struggle to beat his guy off the dribble uh without screens um i think he's going to be targeted on defense at least early and i i think he has the creativity um to carve out a role in the rotation i just worry you know how, how long he can really last without that athleticism all right, and let's close things out by talking about Joel Ayai. And it is super weird to say this about Gonzaga, but I feel like Joel Ayai is suffering a bit from the Kentucky effect in the sense that with Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert as the lottery-level prospect headliners of this Gonzaga team— AI is being relegated a bit on offense, and when he has touched the ball, I mean, he's in like the 95th percentile of offense overall. You know, his vision isn't like primary point guard great, but he's already proven that he's someone who's, you know, he's 6'5", he's got solid size, he has taken the primary defensive assignment for Gazaga pretty much every night. And, you know, he's already proven that he can be a great complementary player alongside NBA-level talent. So, you know, maybe he's not someone that you're looking at as a lottery pick or even a late first-round pick. But he's also someone who I would be very surprised if he completely flames out at the NBA level. And when you're a team that's sort of picking in the 40s, especially if you're like a playoff team that can just buy a pick in the 40s, I think he's someone who actually could contribute to a rotation sooner rather than later. If Jalen Suggs wouldn't have gone to Gonzaga, I, I probably would have been starting for Gonzaga. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a first round pick because of that. Um, he, he's just a really, really smart player. And, you know, that shows through with his pick and roll creation as the pick and roll ball handler. He's in the 98th percentile. Um, but I, he, he just kind of keeps sacrificing every year he's been there and just plays whatever role the coaches ask him to, you know, he's started at point guard for the, at times for them this year. He's come off the bench. He's played the essentially small forward spot. 
Um, he's played as an off-ball guard. He's in the 93rd percentile in cutting. He's a really good rebounder, just really smart player. Not not the strongest guy, decent shooter. He's not going to light the world on fire from outside. But just his IQ, his feel for the game, his willingness and ability to kind of fill whatever role the team needs from him, um, I, I think is really impressive. And, you know, he's probably worthy of a first-round talent. Um, but just lack of exposure, I would kind of expect him to... That's weird saying lack of exposure for a Gonzaga guy, but just the role he's been asked to play um, this year is kind of take the backseat to Nemhard and Suggs. I, you know, I I think he'll push him down some, but in in the second round, absolute steal. And if I was a contender late in the first, I wouldn't necessarily shy away from taking him. All right. Anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap up? Uh, just gonna plug some stuff because yes, go for it. You're listening to me already, so <laughs> um, check check out the 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 draft guide at hashtag basketball dot com. Top forty five strengths, weaknesses, summaries. Um, I'll be updating that up up until the draft. I think next one. Uh, I don't know. It'll probably be around tournament time. May push it. Not not sure when if we're gonna do before or after, but they'll probably be. I think we're gonna push it out to top seventy five this year, uh, maybe even farther if I'm feeling greedy. Um, I'll have scouting reports on more in depth on all these guys coming out too. I think in the next week or so, hopefully, I uh, have something on. You know, can Carl Anthony Towns actually make a jump that you can find out in Canis Hoopus? Uh, otherwise, just all my stuff's on Twitter. TMACF11. That's about it. Well, there you go. You saved me about a minute on the end here by doing all your plugs, so appreciate that. <laughs> I got you. So he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him everywhere that he just plugged. You can find me, most of my work on Twitter as well, at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my work on the hashtag basketball website. Tyler and I are two of the main rankers for the power rankings every week. Yes, sir. And I've also got a longer term project in the works right now at hashtag basketball. So I will plug that more specifically and more thoroughly once that comes further along. But definitely be on the lookout for that. What a tease. There you go. (laughs) What can I say? I got to give the people something, right? Yeah, yes, sir. Anyway, if you've been enjoying the podcast, especially since we are now trying to make this a weekly slash maybe multiple times a week podcast with the ad hoc NBA content as well, please give the podcast a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And as always, thanks so much for listening.